windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys. Hunter Muscaro, Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Nucky spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Oh, 2020 is upon us, Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher, a new episode and a new year as we talk ETSU athletics, and we'll take you through all the basketball season, a little bit into the spring, we'll see what happens from there, but I hope everyone had a happy holidays, a a good new year, all that good fun stuff, and we're going to be back to the grind, we'll talk about the game ETSU versus Wofford. We'll also preview the upcoming men's and women's basketball game as the women's team up in New York. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the game Saturday tomorrow. ETSU down to Greenville, South Carolina, where they've always had a tough time playing in Timmins Arena against the Furman Paladins. Plus, uh, New Year's resolutions. Time for you to shape up. I think it's about time that we have this talk. Okay. Segment three. Segment three. Maybe we'll even have some for me, too. Who knows? Yeah, well, we may. And then uh, bold predictions. Bold predictions of the playoffs, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot yeah. of recapping yeah. to do. For me, it turns out not so good. For you, pretty good. When you it? gained a couple points, yeah. Well, I don't know about. if either of us were really good, but oh, you were oh, better oh. than I was. Yeah, well, that's all I needed to hear. Clearly. That's literally all I needed to hear. Okay, let's talk a little bit about uh, men's basketball. Jump right to it. It was a, a team that had beaten ETSU four straight, seven of the last ten. Of course, last year with the Darlings. Of the Southern Conference, as they did not lose a conference game, but they do pick up their first conference loss this season inside Freedom Hall. And the first thing I want to talk about is free chicken. I mean, it is unbelievable how Wofford can guarantee you a free chicken sandwich and how crazy the Buck fans go for that. And it doesn't seem to matter who's shooting the free throws. Fletcher Mm -hmm. McGee was like 98% or whatever it was when he missed the two. And now Chavez Goodwin, who was the one that gave it to the Bucs this time around, I think is like 57 or yeah, 58 I mean, That so one makes more sense. And it wasn't even close. No. He hit a couple line drive misses. And after the first one, you just kind of had a feeling it was no way he was going to hit the second one. But this game really ugly early. Seven points, it seemed like forever, was on the board. ETSU led 5-2. There was one field goal. They had nine turnovers. It's like almost halfway through the end of the first uh, half. And then finally... Team's got a few buckets to go. They were trading buckets. It got to 14-14, and then a little Bucks went on a seven nothing run. But there was still a little bit of a lull. Neither team really got into an offensive rhythm. They had small spurts of having offense, but really both uh, defenses having the way, and uh, a little bit of both teams had some looks just didn't knock down the O's opportunities. Well, Bo Hodges was really quiet early on, and then when it was 14-14, to 14, about five minutes left to go in that first half, that's when he showed up, had five straight points, and let ETSU open up a 
three-point lead, which in a game where you have 29 combined points at the half, make it 39 combined points at the half, those five points hold quite the amount of weight. I mean, you ratio that out, and that's like 13% of the points, and they came in like a one-minute span. So just to be able to have him do a little bit of what he does in that first half is really big. And then in the second half, again, because of the type of game that it was, to be able to go on that 7 nothing run and stretch the lead to a game-high 12, make it 30-18. to 18. Now, Wofford, as any good team does, went on a run, right? They went on a 10-0 run, started to hit some shots, and they were very vocal when those shots went down. You could hear a few Wofford fans, the bench and the managers, coaches, everything. They were getting pumped, and they were, I think, kind of self-sustaining that momentum. You know, the building went a bit quiet. I loved the atmosphere for, you know, 95% of the game. I thought the fans were into it. I thought they showed up when it mattered. The fact that there were over 5,000 there on New Year's Day at 4 o'clock, a day that's predominantly known for college football, and the South is known for predominantly loving their college football. The fact that 5,000 people, a little bit over that, showed up to Freedom Hall and created the atmosphere that they did was massive. But Wofford was able to silence ETSU and their fans a bit and made it 38-37. to And I think at that point it was game on, right? I mean, there's not going to be a blowout to be had on this day. There wasn't going to be a lot of points to be had either and just incredible up to that point the way the game unfolded and even as you push towards the last three or four minutes you know Patrick Good starts to hit a couple of shots and he I think had three threes on the day but really when ETSU needed him to hit a couple of shots down the stretch he did now you get to the very final possession and the final interchange between the Bucks and the Terriers and of course he misses the free throw but what's always been so encouraging to me because of the way this team is built when a teammate doesn't have his best moment like Patrick Good didn't on that missed free throw with ETSU up one. Wofford gets the ball, has a chance in their final possession. It seems like there's always someone that has your back to pick you up. And it was Isaiah Tisdale on this one. And really, Lucas Kassam maybe gets lost in the shuffle. He came out and, and uh, helped trap uh, Storm Murphy. Murphy really not didn't know what to do with the ball, gave a ball to Trey Hollowell, and I think out of all the guys you're – you're looking on the floor at the time thinking, who does ETSU want to have the ball at that point? It's probably Trey Hollowell, and that's who had the ball. Tisdale was able to knock the ball off his leg. It shot towards the middle of the lane. Lucas Gasson, again, was there to pick it up. So he started sort of the trap and got the ball out of the hands of Storm Murphy, then was able to, to hang on to it, not get fouled. And then the final horn sounds, and ETSU picks up a one-point victory. But just a rough day for some stars that you would expect would be able to shoot the basketball on each issue side trey boyd clearly a day that um and he has struggled you look at his career numbers against wofford he just he's i think he's six for 30 now in four games shooting the ball from outside the arc and then a couple of guys that you just assume for wofford because they're the two leading scorers would be able to shoot the basketball storm murphy and nathan hoover and Hoover 0 for 6 from 3, just 1 of 11 from the floor. It's the second time in three games he hasn't hit a 3, I think third time this season. So I don't know if because there's no Jackson, there's no McGee, everyone's focusing in on Hoover and it's just been tough for him or if he thinks he's got to be the guy and he's just forcing things. I, I, I don't watch enough. Well, I've seen a couple games. Now, in fairness, a couple games I watched was North Carolina and Duke, so uh, maybe I should watch some other games. But I, I just feel like it felt like he was pressing – Storm Murphy had been sort of the guy, sort of a two guard playing the point, and really just had a hard time working free. And I think because ETSU is so interchangeable uh, at the and kind of built the way they are, that they were able to really not get a lot of mismatches that allowed those two guys 
to sort of have their way from beyond the arc. You had the great stat at the half. No points for the starting five through 20 minutes of game action. And Hoover's at the center of that. And quite honestly, he's just having a flat-out bad year. And I think there were some questions coming into this season about how Hoover and Murphy would be able to do without the two stars. And while I think Storm Murphy has kind of risen to the occasion, right? I mean, he's leading them in scoring 52% from the field, 53% from outside, 19 to 20 from the line. I don't think you can argue with his production day in, day out. Now, did he have a great game against the Bucs? Well, no, no one did really, except for guys you wouldn't have expected, like a Messiah Jones who had 18, and really the only offense of that first half for Wofford, Isaiah Bigelow, who had eight of their first 14, as it turned out, eight of their 18 at the half. But, I mean, Nathan Hoover needs to figure it out for this team to be viable in the Southern Conference. I mean, he's shooting 31% from the floor this year, 26% from outside, and He's a shooter, right? Shooter shoot. He's going to have no conscience, but he's taken 115 threes and he's hit 30 of them. That's not good enough if you're going to be a number two scorer on a championship caliber team. And we talked about it with Coach Forbes post game, and we pointed out that the Bucks didn't have a great day shooting the ball either. I mean, you look up and down aside from Patrick Good, who I should correct myself had four threes, that big one with about two and a half minutes to go to make it 48 to 44. And he hit one like two and a half minutes earlier. That was just as big to stretch the lead back out to six, but Trey Boyd, one of eight from outside. You're not going to see that any day, really. It seems like with this more mature, more polished Trey Boyd, he doesn't tend to have days like this anymore. Uh, Isaiah Tisdale, 0 of 3 from deep. Bo Hodges, 0 of 2 from deep. So outside of Patrick Goods, four threes, the team was a combined David Williamson, 0 for 3 from outside, 1 of 16 from deep. So while Storm Murphy and Nathan Hoover didn't have great days and it was kind of the unexpected guy for Wofford that stepped up in Messiah Jones, it's not like the Bucks played their best and had to squeak one out they were also having a tough day shooting the basketball and at the end of the day it came down to what Steve Forbes apparently foretold his team at shoot around uh, Bruce Trambarger talked about it you talked about it with coach Forbes after the 50-50 ball somebody's going to win the game off a 50-50 ball and we need to be the one to get that 50-50 ball and active hands by Isaiah Tisdale it's exactly what the Bucks were able to do that's what a backtrack I've yeah. never been a part of a game where a starting five had zero crazy ever at, at at any level of anything so that that was the most shocking stat that kind of hit me in the face at halftime as I was just kind of reading through stats that being said you mentioned Messiah Jones I was going to touch on him next because he was unbelievable yeah. if he's not grabbing six offensive rebounds getting some putbacks keeping things alive then Wofford's really not in the game right and so it's second time he's had a huge game second time his career had 18 points but that's really not his game. But when he's had an opportunity to try to uh, contribute, and really he try, he got a lot of opportunity because of early foul trouble. You look at the three fouls that sent Storm uh, – uh, not Storm, sorry, Trevor Stump to the uh, bench because he had three early fouls. Then Chavez Goodwin had two fouls. Those guys set a lot of minutes in the first half due to foul trouble. Well, that allowed Messiah Jones to come in and make some plays, and it was just him and Bigelow, Isaiah Bigelow, that had scored in the first half. But Messiah Jones – uh, without with Wofford not having Messiah Jones on the floor, it's not even a game as bad as ETSU was offensively. It still would have been a game, and if he's not on the floor, I mean, Wofford literally may not have got to forty. Uh, I mean, it was just it, it was incredible to see a team that could fall out of bed and score like eighty five last year. Uh, and again, we we talked about it in the pregame, but forty five points last year was averaged just against ETSU by Cam Jackson and by Fletcher McGee, right. 45 points not on the floor. 
there. Now they lost Matthew Pegram was also was an e-tissue killer. They lost sides with Kiva Luma, lost some other things. But uh, And Jones is undersized. You know, he lists him about 6'6". He's probably not even that. Uh, but he's a workhorse inside and did a great job giving ETSU fits. And we'll see down the road when they go to the Jerry Richardson Indoor Stadium in February sort of how teams make the adjustment and see if it's a little bit more offensive like we assumed this game would be. Murphy, Hoover, Stump, and Hollowell coming into the game averaging 44 points per game combined went for just 11 combined. That was a huge key in this contest. Coach Forbes postgame. The difference between this year and last year is this team's a uh, better defensive team. and We got into the ice on the, on the side, and what that means is we put him in his weak hand couldn't go middle and Luke did a great job of coming up you know and not standing in the lane he couldn't dribble into it and then he tried to make a play and Pun got his hands on it and got the play all right time to test your x's and o's that's part of this whole first segment that we're doing in the new year uh maybe we should do that every single day test jay sandos's x's and o's and sports knowledge but you can hear coach forbes kind of break down the ice on that final possession break it down from what you saw yeah uh, basically storm murphy when he Crossed half court, Isaiah Tisdale, who was left-handed, was able to force Murphy to his left. Trying to set a screen was Messiah Jones. As soon as he set the screen, that's when Lucas Casson, instead of sitting back, as Coach Forbes said, he actually came out to, instead of hedging the screen, he actually trapped. So a hedge is basically where you come out there and you kind of deke or uh, try to slow down the point guard, then you get back to your defender. And so with the ice, what they want to do is trap that. And so they immediately came out and trapped uh, and then as soon as uh, Murphy was forced to throw the basketball back to, in that point, Trey Hollowell, then Gasson was able to get back in the lane where Isaiah Tisdale, again, was able to strip the ball away from Hollowell, and then it kind of rolled right to um, uh, Lucas Gasson. But really it was a great job all day of ETSU sort of doing that. And, you know, it's funny because when Trevor Stump's out there, you know, he's a stretch four. He's a guy that's really not a four, plays a four, can shoot a lot of threes. You know, when they had Messiah Jones in there, that's not really what he wants to do. Matter of fact, they even put him at the five at some point and had Bigelow out there at the four. And that was a little bit of an issue because Bigelow hit a couple of threes. But you could hear, and again, right next to it, I'm sure the, the mic picks up some when you could hear the coaches yell ice or, or whatever the play call will be. But I thought it was a brilliant job because they basically just said, Storm Murphy is not going to beat us at that point. All right, you passed test number one. Here's test number two. I was disappointed at halftime, Jay. I thought we should have had a double-digit lead. We were playing so poorly offensively. Uh, we were sped up. We weren't cutting. We were just making a pass and trying to drive it. They're too good defensively to do that. We had way too many turnovers because we were over-penetrating. When you play against a team like Wofford where they strip and rip like they do, you got to go one dribble kick, one dribble kick. You can't go one, two, three deep, and they're just going to strip you and rip you, and that's what was going on. Second half, I thought we ran a lot better offense, got a good lead, and then they came back. You know, they made a couple threes and – uh, a couple things inside, and I don't think we finished the game the way we need to finish the game. Boat has a bad turnover here, and Pat misses the front end of a one on one, and uh, and Pun missed the back end of a two shot foul or one on one. But he made a great defensive play to win the game. You know, the last three games previous to Wofford, 10 turnovers total for the game. They had 12 in the first half against Wofford. They would have three the rest of the game. Now, granted, a couple of those came late when ETSU couldn't afford uh, to have turnovers, but did turn it over. So I thought they did a better job of moving the basketball around. And the one thing Wofford, they really dive at the guys that are dribbling the basketball. And so, you know, the this strip and rip term that he's using is basically, especially for a post player for Bo Hodges, 
Trey Boyd where they may tend to dribble and try to drive, then people will come off their defender and basically try to reach in, grab the ball, take it away from them, or come from the backside and be able to create a turnover. And so uh, popular term, the old strip and rip, uh, but I, I think that's – you knew Wofford made a coaching change, but their philosophy is basically the same. You know, they had the associate head coach there with Mike King. I'm sure Jay McCauley's put in a few wrinkles, but defensively they looked exactly the way that you would assume a Wofford team would look like. And there was a theme against – I sit next to the bench of move the ball, move the ball. Hey, throw the ball. We need more than – one pass dribble shot you can get that with you know five seconds on the shot clock you need to continue to do it I thought also Wofford went into a little bit of a slowdown press so they weren't necessarily trying to create um, a turnover they were just trying to slow ETSU down so by the time they cross midcourt you know 22 seconds 21 seconds then by the time you get a play call by the time you get into it you're talking about 17 seconds to run an offense as opposed to maybe 25 26 seconds if you get the ball up in the front court and I think that was disappointing too is that the Bucks weren't attacking the the press because it really wasn't a press. It was really just trying to slow people down. And that term overpenetration that Coach Forbes used, imagine someone like Isaiah Tisdale driving inside, taking two, three, four dribbles rather than the one and locating the person he wants to drive and kick to. So if you take two, three, or four, the defense collapses on you, and all of a sudden you're surrounded. And you don't have you the don't have a game pass plan. out. Yeah, That's exactly, exactly you, right. You you don't you may have the guys open, but you're surrounded, just trying to hang on to the ball. You won't be able to see them. You won't be able to get the ball above your head to be able to pass. You'll be in a really tight situation. So that's what he's talking about with over penetration and with uh, Furman. By the way, we got one more bite from Coach Forbes, and I don't know if you want to talk more about the over penetration or the press or anything, but I figure we talk about that on the other side of this break. The Furman soundbite. Yeah, we can do that. The only thing I was going to say is the uh, the over penetration also usually puts you in bad angles, right? You know, because it's, it's somebody doing too much, doing something else. They weren't prepared. So when the trap comes or whatever, uh, then you're not sure what to do with the basketball. By the time you hesitate, everybody's on it. And, again, Wofford is a good uh, hands team, and so they're able to knock the basketball around. Once they get it loose, then they can get a steal and, and go from there. So ETSU did not do a very good job finishing, but they did. You know, that, that that's the ultimate thing. You know, could they have finished the game better, hang on to the basketball, hit some free throws? Sure, but – that's how you win championships, right? When you were able to win games like that, when you don't play your best, and ETSU did that at home, I'm sure Wofford's going to have this game uh, uh, on repeat when it comes to February. Bucks go back there, and they're going to sit there and watch, especially the last part of that, and think about what could have been. And find a way when you score 30 less than you're averaging per game. I think that's important to be able to win multiple ways. ETSU wins 49-48. They'll head to take on the Furman Paladin Saturday. We'll break down that contest. Plus, we'll talk a little women's hoop and their trip to Ithaca, New York, right after this time out. Joe Romsano, sidekick on the Buccaneers. Where's that work? Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology, to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Sandos and Azari Kick back with you on this first edition of 2020. Be back with you with a full next week, but we are talking 
ETSU men's and women's basketball preview. Both teams play Saturday. The women play at uh, 2 o'clock. No, 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock. 1 o'clock. Men play at 4 o'clock. We'll talk about the women's game in just a moment. But the Furman Paladins up first. Let's get head coach Steve Forbes' take before we give ours. I thought last year at third place was the poorest performance effort-wise of any game I've coached since I've been here. I was It was bad. They just kicked our butt in every area possible. If we're not ready to go, then I, I don't know what it'll take to get us ready to go. We should be ready to go. They got a really good team. I haven't watched them yet, but everybody's back except Rafferty and Brown. You know, Mounts and, and Gurley and Hunter. and They got a good team, man. They're well coached. Bob does a heck of a job. and I want to go down and compete and obviously go down to win, but we have to compete better than what we competed a year ago. Uh, down there a year ago 91 to 61 in a second half that absolutely shell-shocked I think you and me and a lot of the Buck Nation watching what happened in Greenville with every single shot it seemed like the Paladin lobbed towards the rim going in it got contagious it was one of those uh that you can kind of see it getting ugly and you think well they can't hit this one oh yeah they did <laughs> it just it kept on but it it has been a um it's been a hard row for head coach Steve Forbes, who is, I think, one in three in Greenville, South Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. A couple of those losses are ugly. Uh, Bucks have the one-point win, I think 62-61. DeSante Bradford hit the – if I don't have the score right, it was a one-point win. Bradford hit the shot with a few seconds to go. And then the two years before that, the the first year he was coaching, Geelon Gwynn, T.J. Cromer was able to, to come back from a pretty – decent deficit and have a shot with three minutes to make it a game missed it and then it got stretched back out to a firm and win the year after that bucks well, i'm saying just got pummeled so they've been pummeled three of the the four losses uh that i most recent losses at Furman. so uh and then they got the one point win so i think the big thing is how can they start the game you know what kind of confidence level will you do you know there's no rafferty there's no andrew brown but Furman still has a lot of the same characters and faces and to be honest they they're kind of like for ETSU fans like Belmont they recruit to a system so it might be a different name but it's the same type player they've still got on the floor uh and I think that that'll be interesting to see plus you know Furman feels pretty good playing in that building they have a good home court advantage they shoot the ball a little better now School's out, you know, where they have the football and lacrosse teams that really create a lot of energy, you know, right there on the sideline. Will there be a few guys? Will there be a lot of guys? Will there be nobody? This will be the first time I can remember an early game where school is out for Furman. So I'll be curious to see what type environment's there. Now, they're trying to play a lot of games down in the downtown arena. They probably looked and said, okay, who's been some good games? Let's take it down there. And they probably thought, well, ETSU's a good draw. And then my guess is they went back and said, Man, how good are we at Timmons Arena against ETSU? Why don't we just leave this game right here? Correct. So it, that's my theory for why that game was not moved to the Bon Secure building downtown. It stayed right there at Timmons Arena on campus, where, again, Furman has been great against ETSU. I'm still a little bit in awe about the game last year because there was a stretch there early in the second half. I mean, it was 41-32 to 32 at the half, if fans don't remember. And this is a game that I've got tattooed on my mind, so it seems like it would be tough for others to forget to, but I don't want to assume. And the Bucks had it to five, and then the floodgates just opened up. And I want to point out the second half, but really the entire day offensively, Furman was just, it looked to me, watching the game back one, two, three steps ahead the entire afternoon 
on the offensive end. They shot 64%, 68% in the second half from the floor, 12 of 18 from outside. And I'm not going to discount the loss of Matt Rafferty and Andrew Brown because, as you mentioned, a lot of the team is back aside from those two in terms of top contributors. And last year, they were two of, well, really a lot on the roster that killed the Bucks. You look at these numbers, though, and they were insane. 12 of 15 from the floor combined. Six of six from outside and six of six from the line for a combined 36 points on 15 shots. I mean, that efficiency is out of control. And anytime you're shooting 64%, it kind of goes without saying that you're going to have numbers like that. But Rafferty and Brown specifically were two players that destroyed the Bucs in the offensive end last year. That being said, and Rafferty did that a lot of the year to a lot of different players. He was an 18 7 Three, two, Some ridiculous two guy. all yeah. around stat. Yeah, right. I mean, he basically was the number one guy in the country at this very specific statistical set. And I'm not taking away from that. It was just funny how they pulled that stat out. That being said, he did do a lot of things very well. This is essentially, though, the same team. And again, it's not to take anything away from Rafferty and Brown, but you compare their numbers from last year to this year, and all the stats line up almost exactly. And stats aren't everything, and I get it. And when you have a couple extra options like Rafferty and Brown, and specifically Brown last year, I think, was the surprise guy against the Bucks. Now, you knew he could play, but did you know he put up 17 points on six shots? Probably not. We knew what we were getting with Rafferty. He had 19, 5, 3, etc. The line goes on. But aside from blocks and rebounds, Almost everything else lines up exactly to last year. To me, this team has not lost a lot. And it lends to your point, and I'm not going to say that you completely eviscerated Rafferty or Brown or anyone on the team. You just said Furman. I think it's a fair point. Furman doesn't have that guy. He doesn't have, they don't have an Isaiah Miller. You know, they don't have, say, a DeSante Bradford when ETSU had him, a TJ Cromer, a, a Merriweather. You know, guys that were top-end game wreckers, right? Furman doesn't have a game record. They've got a bunch of very above-average players. I'm not sure they have that one game record, but they play really great together. That being said, while this team is very similar to last year, if you look at at how they're made up and where they do lag, I think once again, like I thought last year, and granted it didn't help the Bucs in Greenville, they can be had down low. And Dromi Rodriguez showed that last year in that game. He was about the only buck that really showed up and had a solid game. 21 points on 12 shots, 7 rebounds, couple of steals. He was very, very good. And when he got the ball, he was able to convert. I think ETSU needs to have a focus on doing that again this year. And with the maturation of Lucas Goussaint, I think they have a very good chance to have Rodriguez and Goussaint both down low having a big game against the Paladins because you don't want things to snowball like they did last year. And when they snowballed, they snowballed hard. I think the the big thing is they're similar to ETSU in the fact that there can be a different guy be a leading scorer. Sure. I think they're very similar in the fact that they can win multiple ways. They can score 90 points and outscore you that way. And they can also score in the 50s and win a game. They won 58-57 against uh, uh, Texas Arlington. Arlington, They won 64-62, a league game against Mercer. Turn around and threw 89 on the board at VMI. I mean, they're a team that can win multiple ways. They're going to screen you to death. They're going to not just screen you. They're going to pick and pop. They're going to do some things, uh, try to get to the rim. But they're really looking for where's the breakdown. So if you try to double something else, they're unselfish. They'll kick out for a three. If you're trying to look at the post, take away somebody down low. Now they are a little – I would say they lost a little bit of some post play. Yes. Gurley doesn't really want to go down there and bang as much as Rafferty did. But in fairness, Rafferty stood at the free throw line and the offense ran through him. So 
it just kind of depends. But Gurley certainly more athletic than Rafferty. Rafferty probably made better decisions uh, than Gurley, but Gurley's is certainly a guy that can score if need be. Jordan Lyons has had a fifty point, fifty four point game last year. He just went for forty. Now in the fifty four point game, he was fifteen of thirty four from three. He just needed twelve attempts, ten makes against VMI to get to forty. So uh, he's he set a I think all time Furman record last year with one hundred and three threes made in single season, and I think he's only like twenty two, twenty three off from the career mark. Now he's already attempted a hundred more than everybody else, so he's getting more volume up. But you know if you can go ten for twelve at anything, I think that's certainly going to be a, a a good option. So I think Jordan Lyon is still got Clay Mounts as a guy that I, I is a four really can jump but he wants to play outside as well you know you're right they really don't have post but all five guys can shoot threes just like Rafferty sure. all, all the guys can score from everywhere so how's ETSU going to be defensively in this game are they going to be disciplined are they going to give a lot of open looks because if you're playing on the road really anywhere but the first few shots go down and really what happened just going back and looking at the box you look at the first part of the second half and shots just dropped, dropped, dropped. And then from that point, it was snowballing. I mean, you look at some of the numbers in that loss. And ETSU, honestly, they shot 52% in the first half. They shot 42% in the second half. So a combined 57% for the game. They shot almost 60% from two. They were 22 of 37. But you scroll down, or I'm you know, looking at my computer monitor, and when you scroll down and you sit there and stare – well, Furman shot 59% in the first half. They shot a whopping 68% in the second half for a combined 64%. And as you mentioned already, 12 of 18 from three to go with 15 of 18 from the line, and you could very easily see. But it wasn't particularly an awful day in some regards of what you're looking at. Bucks 11 to 16 from the free throw line. They just had a couple more turnovers than Furman. Rebounding numbers were... Uh, there just weren't many rebounds. I mean, ETSU even won by 11 on the boards. I mean, so if you just took a look at sure numbers that ETSU's plus 11, what did they shoot from the field? Uh, you know, the two from 14 for three is obviously not good. But what did they shoot from the floor, from the free throw line? Some things that you would automatically look at and go, ooh, it would be a good day or a bad day. It was a little misleading because of how well Furman played, and Furman has the ability to knock down 15 to 23s as a team. And if they're hitting double-digit threes, they're going to pretty much, if not win every game, they're going to be in it and pretty close to winning every game. So, to me, defending the three is going to be imperative for ETSU. You just can't get firm and allow them a chance to get rolling from the outside because it can just come in buckets. And that's one of the big things that ETSU's improved this year. They have been a lot better at defending the three this season. On the perimeter, I'd say they've made marked strides. You can see it to the untrained eye, to the trained eye, in the stats. They have done so much better at that, so I love that for the Bucks in this matchup. Furman is top three in the league in every category aside from rebounding and blocks. So I just don't think there's any two ways about this. ETSU strength can be anywhere on a given day. Right, while Furman is gone from you know plus two in rebounds last year to minus one, doesn't sound like a lot, but right now they're last in the league in rebounding margin, and they're well off their total last year. They're going to end up like forty or fifty blocks short of what they had last year. So to say that they lost some down low, they lost some beef, some muscle, guys that want to play down there is not a stretch. I think it bodes well for ETSU if you can defend the perimeter, as you said, as they've been so much better at, and stop Furman from having just an out of your mind.
mind, you know, out of body type experience like they did have last year in Greenville. And again, I think that's kind of a once or twice in a season type thing. The Bucks just caught him on the wrong day. If you can do that, if you can have Lucas Goussaint and Jeromey Rodriguez be strong in the post as they have been a lot of the year, and Jeromey Rodriguez has come on even stronger lately. And Goussaint is, you know, again on a, a day like this one, if he can come up with, you know, twelve and eight or 14-6 and six or something like that. That would be massive. Uh, and Furman's hot. They won five in a row, and their only losses to South Florida from the AAC by 10, Alabama by 8, and then Auburn. Now they gave them a run oh, for yeah. the money. Who's, who's at Auburn? And Auburn's still undefeated. So they don't really have a bad loss. I think the closest thing you'd find to a bad loss on either Furman or UNCG's resume so far this year is probably that South Florida game that Furman lost by 10. But outside of that, they don't really have bad days, it doesn't seem like, at least so far. I guess against Mercer is probably what you'd consider a bad day losing or winning by two, I should say, 64-62. to 62. But this is going to be a hard-fought competitive contest. It is not going to go like it did last year. I am 100% positive of that. It's not to say that I'm guaranteeing ETSU comes out with a victory, but... Uh, they're not going to lose by 30. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. And Steve Forbes, I'm sure, is playing up last year. I was very interested when he said effort-wise it was the worst that he's seen since he's been here. That was surprising to uh, hear him say, though, losing by 30. You know, maybe if you just look on the surface, um, it's not as surprising of a statement. So go down low, get Jeromey Rodriguez and Lucas Cousin involved. Keep them involved throughout the game because it was very spotty last year with Jeromey um, and really live through them and – play the out inside out game and then on the other end of the court force Furman to go down low because they don't want to do that Furman is very good at defending the three as well 29 percent opposing teams are shooting against them just allowed I think it was three teams to hit double digit threes against them you know on the flip side of thing I think there's only once they've hit less than seven threes and it was the opening game in Gardner Webb so they were averaging uh, 10 threes a game. They've got seven with double-digit threes made. And during the win streak, they've only done it twice. So they're still finding ways to win. And you mentioned the Mercer game. I mean, the one glaring stat line is they get to the free throw line, they being firm a lot, and they only were given nine opportunities in that game. So I don't know, you know, just the way it was called, just the way the feel. I, honestly, Mercer, new head coach, not quite sure what all they're trying to do there to maybe slow the game down. But just four of nine from the free throw line. They're seventy two percent free throw shooting team, so maybe if they had a couple more free throws here there or got the line more would have been a little better. But they defend the three well. It could be, you know, who is going to be able to knock down more threes and with Furman averaging ten makes per contest, I would assume that would be big. Plus Furman generally assisted turnover ratio has been one of the best teams in the league the last several years. And I bet if we look it up, they're probably still a top the league lead. Uh, I mean I mean I just thinking about Alex Hunter last year who had nine assists, zero turnovers as the point guard. And anytime you can get nine and zero, uh, especially against uh, Steve Forbes and what he wants to try to do to create turnovers to get points off of it, that's certainly a valid number there. And then the only guy that really kind of gets out of control sometimes can be Jordan Lyons. But for the most part, uh, Furman, the most turnovers they have in a ball game was 17. And that was against uh, Texas Arlington. So other than that, they've done a great job. They've got a lot of games where there are 12 turnovers or less. So it'll be interesting to see which how the defense goes. To me, it just comes down to simple. Can you just not let Furman catch fire from the outside? Can you stop them from hitting 12, 15 threes? If so, the rebounding, some other things I think could work in ETSU's favor. And ETSU, I think, needs to win the battle at the free throw line. Getting to the line more and hitting more free throws need to be more aggressive because I think there's certainly an advantage with the Bucs trying to go to the rim. 
Had to look at men's basketball, women's basketball. Big game coming up tomorrow. Yeah, and the Bucks may be shorthanded, and this is not a good thing to uh, hear I, in this area. Again? <laughs> well, it doesn't seem like it. I joked okay. with head coach Brittany Azell. Are, are they at full strength that I didn't know about to start with? I go, joked with head coach Brittany Azell before the Converse game because it looked like with Jada Craig out there, you know, she was in warm-ups, and I was like, all right, Jada's coming back. She's like, yeah, well, Ariel's not going to play. She's got flu-like symptoms. I was like, it seems like you're never going to get back to 10 bodies. And she was like, no, no, I guarantee you it'll never happen. And just when Ariel's coming off of flu-like symptoms, uh, Ty Kimbrough has flu-like symptoms, and she is questionable for that game against Cornell. And, and that's big because Cornell is a very good inside team. They're very efficient from the floor, 31st in the nation. And field goal percentage, 46% is what they shoot from the field. Very good rebounding team, as have many of ETSU's opponents been this year. Sixth in the nation in rebounding margin. And quite honestly, Cornell's good defensively. 37th in the nation in scoring defense. And you can kind of compare them, and I'm not saying that they are Georgia Tech. And by the way, Georgia Tech just beat a ranked Miami team yesterday. So they're continuing their strong start under Nell Fortner. And that 39-point loss to them I don't think is anything to be ashamed of. Wake Forest also just went to Duke and won for the first time in forever. And they're I don't know if you saw that. And they're 8-5. and five. Uh. So Wake Forest is all of a sudden looking like if you weren't already believing in the caliber of ACC win that it was, and we talked about how Wake Forest has never really been a great ACC team, and they've made the tournament once in their program's history, but there's some teams on the schedule that ETSU's played that are doing some unprecedented things at least in their own personal program's record book. So uh, you can compare them a bit to Georgia Tech. Again, they're not going to be the similar style. They're not going to have the caliber of athlete. But statistically, they have lived up to a lot of the things that the Yellow Jackets have been this year. And you can kind of look throughout the year at what ETSU has been able to do against really good rebounding teams, and there have been a lot of them. Top 20 in the nation in rebounding margin, Tennessee, Troy, Wake Forest, UNCA, Georgia Tech, and now Cornell. So almost half of their opponents this year have been in the top 20 in the country in rebounding the basketball and keeping opponents off the glass. Obviously, you had UNCA that game first half close, and then they used a big third quarter to kind of run away with it. Uh, Tennessee, you know, Erica Haynes-Overton kind of went off Right, that was a bit of an aberration. She's no longer in the roster, so kind of X that game out. Troy, they were just running up and down the floor. It was an afternoon game. Bucks didn't come out prepared, and if they were prepared, Troy was just better in that first half. And once CTSU kind of woke up, um, it would have been, you know, I think a one o'clock tip here Eastern Time. I think it was a noon tap there um, in Troy in the Central Time Zone. It was just too late, so that comeback came a bit tardy. And uh, then Georgia Tech obviously boat raced the Bucks a little bit in one eighty-seven to forty-eight. But look at Wake Forest, and you had some very unique statistical things happen. You gave up zero threes for the first time in five seasons. You had your best shooting night of the year, 49% from the floor. Kaya Upton, who's got three career threes, made one of her three threes that night. Gabby Brown, who is someone that is not known as an offensive force, is on the floor like five or ten minutes per night, had a chance to extend a little bit against Converse because uh, that was a non-Division one opponent, and obviously you want to get your players that uh, give you kind of those dirty, hard-work minutes that coming off the bench a little bit of extended time to get their feet under them, uh, but just not a polished offensive player, right? Not going to be someone that hits a ton of shots, whether it be inside or outside. She made a three as well at that point. I think it was her first career field goal. If it wasn't her first career field goal, it was her first career three in an ETSU uniform. So there were unique unicorn-type things that happened in that game. And Wake Forest, again, out of the ACC, if Wake Forest and Cornell play tomorrow, my guess is it's a pretty good game. I don't know who wins, but I think it's probably pretty close. 
my point is, though, when you face these teams that are really good inside, and those five teams, by the way, Tennessee, Troy, Wake Forest, UNCA, and Georgia Tech are combined 53-19 and 19 this year. <laughs> so it's a pretty solid group of opponents, as you can tell just from our conversation and from the stats. When you go up against those kind of teams, you need your best from players that on a given night are going to perform in a certain box, right? Kaya Upton is going to be your scrappy, take the ball away, uh, distributor, set other people up, and once in a while get a double-digit performance. You need her to hit a shot or two that she wouldn't usually hit. Gabby Brown, another good example. Sierra Purdue against Converse had 11 points. She had three career points in an ETSU uniform before that day. So things like that need to happen to pull this kind of upset Now against Wake Forest. Now against Cornell, not going to be the caliber of team, but statistically very similar, which makes me generate the kind of thoughts that I am about what ETSU needs to do. Well, again, post play, I think that's that's obviously going to be a you know how can ETSU handle the rebounding war? I think that's going to be uh, the biggest question against Cornell. Just trying to take a look, a lot of their forwards and uh, they got two centers, a few forwards, all of them six foot or greater. They've got several uh, guards at five eleven. The taller guards could create some issues. I think sometimes rebounding i think we saw this etsu men versus wofford a lot of times it's like well you know maybe lucas and jerome aren't getting a lot of boards well the problem is the guards weren't coming down to help crash and to help get some of the loose balls and so it's always easy to point to forwards and things and say man the rebounding numbers you guys just aren't going to go get it well if you gang rebound if nothing else you help block out you can create uh, get some loose balls get some cheap rebounds that help adds up free tissue they have to gain rebound the rest of the year. There's just no doubt about it. They've got to be able to make that a team effort that on the defensive end, all five players must really go to the glass and try to get a rebound. Then on the offensive end, you could say, okay, one or two go, and then we do need to get back on defense. And so you'd expect the offensive rebounding numbers not to be that great. But to go on the road, taller team, you've got to be able to rebound. You've just got to be able to hit shots. I think Coach Zell's ran several sets this year where ladies have had clean looks. They haven't hit clean looks. I think they've got to get a few of those shots to drop, especially from the outside if they want to be victorious on the road. And if you're without Ty Kimbrough, to get back to the rebounding point that you were discussing and I was discussing, obviously six foot four, you know what she provides inside. She's really come into her own lately. She's averaging um, like eight points and nine rebounds over the last six or seven games. She has shown that she can be consistent. She leads the Southern Conference in blocked shots. So the closer in shots, if you are without her, ETSU is going to have, you know, six foot one and shorter out there on the floor against Cornell, who are a team that obviously, as we've talked about, can do a lot of good things inside and have a bit of size of their own. You look up and down the roster, you know, you've got uh, the guards are obviously, you know, 5'10", 5'11". Then there's uh, six foot two uh, in the front court and six foot three and six foot two. So they've got some size. They're going to be bigger than ETSU if Kimbrough doesn't play. That means you need more from Shania Jackson. And Kimbrough started a game over break, her first start in a Buccaneer uniform. Without her, Jackson's going to be the big inside threat. It was good to see against Converse that for the first time in her career, she had a double-digit scoring effort in a game she played less than 20 minutes. That's good. That's efficient. But Cornell is no Converse. Converse is no Cornell uh, if you look vice versa. So 14 points, 12, or 14 minutes, 12 points for Jackson last game, four double-digit scoring efforts this year. She needs to stay out of foul trouble, and that's going to be hard because she's going to be outsized down low. If she can stay on the floor and provide some quality minutes like she did against Appalachian State, uh, like she did against UNC Asheville, like she did against Liberty and Keep in mind, those are games that ETSU won, save the UNC Asheville game. And again, like she did against Converse, that's going to go a long way to equalize some of the height disparity if you don't have Kimbrough. The Academy of Holy Angels. 
Yep, Minneapolis. Very familiar with that? Very familiar with that. They have lots of money. Uh, Because the best player. They crushed us in every single athletic event that we played them because I was an inner city city school type guy. They had a lot more. You're getting me down a hole here. I don't want to talk too no, much about this because I'm feeling a certain kind of way about it. That's, right, that's okay. right. So Laura Bagwell can tell Inich is the best player. She's a, a six foot four. But from there, I figured it'd be familiar. At least I didn't realize I was going to bring up the hatred. I don't like him already. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring up that. All right. We'll, we'll move on. Anyway, we just have scary. more than we do. You know, so whenever you yeah. look across, you're just like, sure. well, uh, you know, they've got all these fancy amenities, nice facilities, all this stuff. And you're playing at a baseball field where there's weeds growing in the outfield. Some patches don't have grass. And, it's just and, dirt and, you, pro- and, and you probably thought moving from the, the, the D3 ranks to a Division One school would help out. And then you land at ETSU and realize you're still behind the eight ball. So there you go. There you from have high it. school all the way up to now when I'm well into my professional career. I can't escape it. It's unbelievable. All right. Hopefully well. the Bucs can get revenge on behalf of me, on behalf of 16-year-old Mike Gallagher that had to put up with Academy Holy Angels the entire high school career that I had. 1 p.m. tomorrow, ETSU versus Cornell women's basketball. 4 p.m., ETSU versus Furman. The Buccaneers Sports Network, 3.30 coverage. Greenville, South Carolina. I'll be there for that. Mike Gallagher in the studio. We'll recap that, both those games, on Monday. New Year's resolutions after this time. I'm Tim Sando Sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Sidekick, it is Friday on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Keep in mind, Saturday, 3.30 pregame, 4 o'clock tap. ETSU men's basketball and Furman. And then Wednesday night, ETSU men's basketball on the road against UNCG. Myself and Jay Sandos just a couple of minutes ago previewed the Furman contest, went over the Wofford contest, just a gauntlet that the Bucs are having to face in the first three games of the new year with Wofford and Furman and UNCG. And speaking of the new year, I thought it would be a good idea Voice of the Bucks, Jay Sandos, to come up with some New Year's resolutions for each other because it's important to have for un- each other unbiased. Okay. Well, I suppose we're both probably biased for or against each other depending on the day. But resolutions from others to ourselves, and in this case, you to me and me to you, because you can always come up with re- resolutions for yourself. But when you're the only one holding yourself accountable, it's sometimes tough to follow through. But with each you and me holding each other accountable on these resolutions, I think that we might be able to hold to some of ours in 2020. Okay. I'm about improvement here. You know, I'm just trying to better the show. I'm trying to better I'm curious where this is, I'm, I'm curious where the first one's going here so I know what, 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 what path we're going down. Okay, here. well, let, let me start then. I'll go ahead and lead the way. Set the tone, and then I'll know how to respond. Firstly, as many in the new year I think are looking back to 2019 or previous years and are trying to better themselves based off those things, I think you need to stop living in the past mm. because – it's time to find new quarterbacks to root for, and I'll tell you why. Touchdown, Tom. His run is done. It's clear going into the playoffs that this New England Patriots team is not what they used to be. They will not be the same in these playoffs, and perhaps even in the offseason, the rumors of Tom Brady going elsewhere or retiring altogether, they look like they're going to come true, which means you're going to have to find 
a new QB after 15, 16, 17 years, whatever it's been. He's carried you, and you've been behind him, and now at the professional ranks, you're going to have to latch on to someone else and hope that even a shell of the performance that your favorite team has gotten from Tom Brady is uh, duplicated by a new quarterback such as a Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, sorry, he's in San Francisco. Jacoby Brissett, well, he's in Indianapolis. Certainly there's someone that will step up. Jared Stenham, what do you say? Stop living in the past. Yeah, okay. Uh, Also, Mm -hmm. on quarterbacks, because it doesn't just extend from the professional ranks back to the studio here at the Buccaneer Sports Network. Closer to home, I know you got a love affair with Austin Herrick. You're, since day one, all behind him and so into his play and what he's done for this university, as are many, but you have a more prestigious spot than most at this university and with these sports programs as the voice of the Bucs. And I think with Austin now being done with his career and you two keeping in touch and, you know, having conversations, lunches, uh, you know, a beverage here and there, I think that you need to separate yourself from the Austin Herrick ETSU quarterback side of things and start to just see him as a normal human being. And when you're able to move on, I think Buck fans and the Buccaneer football team will be able to do so as well and find their new quarterback and have success with him. Okay. So recap, uh, give up on Tom and uh, don't relish in what Austin Herrick was able to do as a player. You know, Trey Mitchell did his okay. best, but without your support, yeah. I'm not <laughs> sure how you're expecting the young man to have success. You can't keep living under the Austin Herrick umbrella and expecting him to ride in on his golden horse and take things back over. I, you got to get behind the new okay. guys. All right. I will, Time to I move will, on and stop leaving the past. I will attempt to do that. Okay. I'm glad. I think this is good. Already. My first one for you okay. is that you need a new person for the route tree. Really? Because if I'm letting Austin go, mm. I think the crutch of you always going, hey, Austin, can you come down here and talk to me? Well, can you talk me off the ledge? Can you can you do other things? I think maybe maybe there's a few other guys on the team speaking, whether it's a new quarterback, whether it's uh, Quay Holmes, whether it's somebody else. Maybe we uh, venture podcast-wise, uh, and you break up with Austin podcasting and uh, bring a new guy into the fold. What do you think of that? Well, I think your name's on the show, and I think you're misdirecting your responsibility onto me. I mean, I, I that, think that, that happens every day. That I happens think, every I day. Think you're Is that a resolution? Your, I just, uh, Is that a new one not to project? <laughs> I just think you're not to project? coming you know, from the spit. Yeah, I don't uh, know. All right. What's, g- give me another one. Okay. Why, now, see, why is it my response? Okay, never mind. All right, man. Uh, I think you got to develop your own look. Be a bit more fashion forward because mm. the Jim Harbaugh khaki thing. <laughs> It's run its course, much like Jim Harbaugh's time in Michigan, I think. I think that you have emulated Mr. Harbaugh because he is at the head of one of your favorite programs. And with his time clearly wrapping up, I don't think it'll be more than another year or two, considering Michigan is just unable to get over the hump against all the good teams that they play, all the rivalry games, that once you're able to move on from the Jim Harbaugh look, perhaps Michigan will be able to move on from Harbaugh. You know that, that you're is, a tone setter here. That, that, I don't that, know if you're seeing a trend. Listen, that is funny because, as you told me, what this segment is. As I was sitting here listening, the first thing I wrote down, okay, and I didn't know you were going that direction. First thing I wrote down was, could Mike Gallagher please go shop at a men's store? <laughs> like, could you get rid of the medium <laughs> or the free whatever somebody no, gives you? I feel like free thing, right? I mean, can, can you please buy an adult size? shirt pants everything else like yeah you know not wear and if there's nothing more you can find than free t-shirts mm. but yet i've seen in a tank top like like let's calm down 
Let's buy some men's clothes. Let's maybe buy something that fits or maybe is a little baggy. It doesn't have to be like you swallowed it and sleeping in your dad's shirt at night. <laughs> Just could it please not be skin tight? That's all I'm saying. So I'm wondering if the problem in your mind for me is that I'm cheap and don't want to buy new stuff and that's I'm just wearing things that I've had from the past and I'm growing young boys so you know I need to go get new clothes and stop being cheap or I just need to actually shift where my clothes are bought from or is it both uh being one of the cheapest human beings on the planet (laughs) it's definitely not that it's definitely not free or cheap as Mm. you mentioned the khakis but you Probably forgot to elude the 73 different uh, e-tissue polos I probably mm, own. That's true. And probably paid for like five of them. So, well, and the colors are very similar from ETSU in Michigan as well. well it, it's an, it's yeah. an easy fit. But, you know, in all honesty, a couple of New England stuff that doesn't have red in it, you know, just, Maybe we need just blue as well. contract but. like a uh, clothes accessorizer oh, or that. some kind of fashion consultants i guess do you know anybody like that i mean i, I do not i think your gal I, you know she's city it. attorney she has to be on yeah. the cutting edge of fashion perhaps she can help us she out she is here. she is appalled by what i wear every day <laughs> let, let me let me assure you i'm glad that. we're on the same so, page oh yeah well that's fair but i i think more the shirts that just the schmedium's got to mm, go. Okay. I, I think it's more when you're between mo- a small more and medium, of that. It's I tough. I don't know what to pick. I don't. I don't, I don't care if it's a button down, a regular polo. I think tank tops A or out. Uh, got, got to get rid of that. I right? Got to get tan. I mean, that's how you're supposed to get a tank, color. A tank top tan. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Oh, I mean, you just, know, I'd run around with no shirt on if I, I mean, could. Listen, it's just listen, not generally listen. accepted. Oof. No, I'm fine. I would rather you go shirtless. Really? Yeah. Yeah. If you're working on right. your tan, work on your tan. Let's work on your tan. This. All right. What's your segment? And make sure that that specific five-second little bit we had there is passed down to all the higher-ups here. I have clearance from my direct boss to run around shirtless. I just want to make sure yeah. that that part is kept and yeah. moves We're forward athletic. with us. That happens. All right. uh, and this is paraphrasing from FattyLiverFoundation.org. Being fat is now responsible for 20% of American fatalities. Buck Nation loves you mixing a salad this year, please. This is not a joke. You know. Just mixing a salad. I ate a salad today. Did you really? I did. New year, new you. I did. I can see the change already. It was it was because it was left over in the fridge and it was easy just to <laughs> take with me. It was but free. I did. You're cheap. Right? It was a Caesar, is a Caesar salad, no meat, no protein, just a we Caesar salad. So some croutons. A sponsorship from somewhere that does salad type things, and it can be the Jay Sandoz weight loss plan of 2020. Because you got kids and they love you. I love you. Buck Nation loves you, and the stat speaks for itself. While I was paraphrasing, 20 percent of American fatalities being fat. I mean, I kind of feel like that I'm about seven pounds away from sexy. <laughs> I'm just not going to lie to you. All right, what's my last one? Mike Gallagher's last one, okay? Because you aren't the worst of all time, okay. but you certainly have some overreactions mm. and over hyperboles, if mm, you will. Yes. And I just feel like if we could tone that down a little, I don't want to take it all away because person, I don't want to take somebody's personality away. But I do think sometimes, and you're not the worst in the office because we work with younger guys, but I do feel like when you're a little younger, and this is including when I was uh, an early broadcaster myself, a fledgling broadcaster, if you will, the immediate jump to things and overstating Mm. and things, going back and listening to my tapes of, you know, one of the greatest this and it's absolute that, or this team is immediately forking them done because they gave up one – you know lousy game i mean just the immediate jump 
Now, the difference between us is you're obviously a better wordsmith, and so the hyperbole comes into play for that, where I'm not smart enough to come up with stuff like that. So it's a little bit of twofold. But I think if you could slow down a few mm. uh, immediate takes and just let yourself you know, sleep on it for another game, not necessarily a next day, but let a team play out a day or two, and then uh, and go and then you know some of the hyperbole. Let's so just, just well to bit. me, you know, you've had some bad takes. That is your unequivocally worst take in the history of bad takes in your life for your entire forty plus years on this See what planet. I'm about, that people? is number one. See what I'm talking about? That is number See what one. I'm talking about? I don't know how you could possibly how equivalate me See with someone else in the office that has takes that are completely over the top, like an angry man, like some of the younger people that we live that we live and work with. It seems like I actually room with one of them here at Buck Ridge. Uh, so yeah, I don't know how you could possibly say that me of all people on this show on the tapes on air have the worst and if not worst second worst i mean you don't hear this right worst like you're not listening you're not listening i'm not listening maybe i should be a lot better listener in 2020 well maybe so all right happy new year's resolution i hope you you can stick to it bold prediction sure all right do i have to weigh in or i'm just going with you just want to see me eat a salad and take a picture once a week well get out of the khakis mix in the salad and we're all going to be very happy here in 2020 yeah we'll see what happens all right bold predictions after this Sanders Psychic, Buccaneers Sports Network. An inside look at Buccaneer basketball is back this winter with the ETSU Radio Coaches Show. Monday nights all season long, Steve Forbes and Brittany Azell join Voice of the Bucks Jay Sandoz live from Wild Wing Cafe at 71 Wilson Avenue in downtown Johnson City. It's a 6 o'clock start as Forbes and Azell field your questions, reflect on results, and preview upcoming action. The ETSU Radio Coaches Show every Wednesday at 6 right here on WXSMAM 640. The Sports Monster. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model system when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and Oakland and goes to New England and get released by New England and go to online college, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in. I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold predictions. Mike Gallagher is still trying to cheat in bold predictions as we argue coming on to air about did the Raiders beat the Chargers Week 16? I assure you, the Raiders won. Because they did have a chance. I mean, I don't. That that's how in they had a chance in Week 17 the because they won right. Week 16. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Twenty. It's right there. All right. Give me my W. Let's quickly. Give uh, me my W. Uh, I, said, I don't have many. Give them. Now I said women's basketball would be three and zero over the break. They're two and zero. Beat they got South a shot. Alabama. Got a shot. Beat Converse. Now they just got to go to Cornell and win that. Uh, so 1-0 Monday. Men's basketball, a 50-plus point second half against Cleveland State. Did that happen? I don't think that happened. No. They won by 25. I've got to get there. I'm just very I unprepared. I, I did lots and lots of things for bold predictions, but this was not one. I'm 38. Dang it. Okay, so that's no uh-huh. good. I also said the Rams would beat the 49ers. Did that happen? Do you remember? I don't remember that. Was that week 16? Uh, that was week 16, wasn't it? Rams over 49ers. I don't know. Did the Rams win that one? Did the Rams play the 49ers? I'm looking. Uh, yeah, oh, Thursday. 49ers, 34 to 30. Oh, that's right. It was a last-second field goal. Oh! So I went 0 for 3. Women's, well, 0 for 2. Women's basketball. You still got one still on the board, the possibly. Yeah, so that's good. I'm happy about that. Uh, you uh-huh. actually nailed one. Oakland over the Chargers. Well yep. done. 
Uh, Pittsburgh going ten and six. Uh, they just well, they win, I had them winning the last two, which they Ouch. did not do. So they're eight and eight. And the, I thought a good one was 25-40-15. The Bucks won twenty five over Cleveland State. Won yep. by more than forty of Marshall. A lot more. Up twelve in the second half. I was feeling real. I'm not gonna lie, Wofford. I was feeling really good with the Bucks was gonna run away with that. Be about an eighteen point W twenty point win, and I was gonna be able to you know break my arm, patting myself on the back. And then I was just happy ETSU won. Period. So. So, if you just look at those bold predictions, I have gotten nine right in 39. You've gotten five in 39. But here I come. And the playoffs are something we can look back on now. Long-term predictions from the beginning of the NFL season. Of course, we had a couple of other predictions as well we'll get to regarding college football. But we're able to finally, with the NFL playoff field set, we can now look at the predictions from yourself, myself, and see how many playoff teams we got right now. I will say this. I'm going to ruin it a little bit. Because I just want to get my positivity out there. Because, you know, I want to talk myself up and talk you down pretty much all the time. Yep. My two Super Bowl teams are still alive and well. One of yours did not make the playoffs. We'll get to that in a second. In the AFC, I predicted New England, Kansas City, and Houston getting in. That's good. I did not predict Tennessee, Baltimore, who's the one seed. I don't know how I missed that one. Lamar Jackson went like 8-1 and one in the regular season last year before they made the playoffs. And Buffalo. Of course, I didn't get that. Because who would have gotten Buffalo? Instead, I had Cleveland... Oakland and San Diego. Who all sound great. <laughs> Oakland had a chance in the last week. That it looked for a second mm-hmm. like Oakland was actually going to sneak into the playoffs, and then the Titans ended up winning, I believe, against Houston on the road. Yeah, because Houston was playing AJ McCarron. But e- but even so, they would have they would have had the tiebreaker against the Steelers. E- oh, it's, yeah, if they would if they won it, and Steelers still would have won. They both nine and seven. Titans still had the tiebreaker. Correct. So he still would have gotten in. But if the Titans would have lost, and because Pittsburgh lost to Baltimore, I think that at that point it would have been Oakland that got in. Anyway, there were like ten things that needed to happen. Like eight of them happened for Oakland, but I also think Oakland lost in that final week, so it didn't end up mattering. Uh, for you, you got New England, Baltimore, and Kansas City in the AFC, so you also got three right. Didn't get Tennessee, Buffalo, or Houston. Instead, you had Jacksonville. Great pick. Jacksonville. Great pick. Pittsburgh and San Diego. San Diego's one that fooled both of us. Yeah, San Diego was Cleveland was my awful. Jacksonville, basically, or Jacksonville sure. was your Cleveland, whatever you want to say. And then I think Oakland and Pittsburgh, they were both in the mix for the final week. Right, right. The they the Titans, time. right? It was, they were the last two so out. So we were very similar on the out. AFC predictions. Now, the NFC, this is where things fall apart for me. Minnesota and Green Bay nailed the NFC North, except I also had Chicago getting in, so that didn't work. I did not get New Orleans, which seems ridiculous to miss now. Seattle, who I loved going into the season. I'm not sure why I didn't pick them. Philadelphia. I had the Cowboys getting over Philadelphia, even though I really liked Philadelphia as well. And San Francisco, that came out of nowhere. Instead, it was the Rams, Cowboys, Bears, and Falcons uh, who I had in. Rams, Cowboys, Bears, and Falcons. So how many did you get right? Two. Two. Rams, Cowboys, Bears, Falcons. I I still like those picks, crazy enough. For you, Philadelphia, New Orleans, Minnesota, and Seattle. You got four. The only ones you didn't get... Green Bay and San Francisco. Instead, you had the Bears and the Rams. So you and me both agreed the Bears and the Rams would get in. I thought the Cowboys and Falcons would also get in. Instead, Philadelphia. I mean, if you'd have said, and I went so far to say, Gosh. right, the Bears are in the Super Bowl. Yes, that's I the did. problem. That was the one. That, the 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 Rams. There's no reason why they didn't even make play, other than the the hangovers real of losing Super Bowl, and you you just can't convince me with everybody they had back, the trades they made, everything. They, you know, I don't know. The Los Angeles teams, the Rams and the Chargers, had to be the most disappointing thing. For two teams wanting to move into a new stadium and create buzz, right. that couldn't have been more of a disaster to end the tenure. 
there were two other predictions that we made long term. And remember, we already did our ETSU bold predictions that we, I think, got all wrong or whatever at the beginning of the season about football. Uh, Clemson did make the college football playoff, so I was wrong on that. I had them not getting to the playoff. And LSU did make the championship game against Clemson in the college football playoff. You had no SEC team getting in. So LSU did make it, I'd say, they're a heavy favorite. Vegas wouldn't agree. I think they're only like a three-and-a-half. Yeah, and, and in fairness, but, to begin the year, I don't think if I had LSU be in the team, it would be the SEC well, team. Well, Burrow got in, a right? big question mark. Right? Sure, I mean, but you pr- either Bama or Georgia would at least been your first two popular choices, I think, out of the SEC. Agreed. But still, I saying no, no SEC was the longest of long shots, according to how many have been in a championship game. So if we look now – after everything's added up, I'm doing the quick math here. I've gotten 13 right. You've gotten 11 right. So you closed the gap from in this week alone. It was nine to four. Now it's 13 to 11. So you're only down two. Do you have bold predictions for this week? Because I do. I do. You? Yeah. Do you? I have. I, I have one for sure off the top of my head. I could go with. So I'm going to do basketball. Okay. One men's, one women's, and then I'm going to mm-hmm. do an NFL playoff one. The final non-conference game of the year for women's basketball. They're one in four in final D1 non-conference regular season games since returning to the SoCon. And I'm thinking a new career high in assists for Kaya Upton. And I'm hoping it will be enough to get the Bucks to victory. So I'm doubling down. I'm saying Kaya Upton, seven assists plus the win. And that will also help me get the one bowl prediction I have out there from before the holidays as well with women's basketball going 3-0. and Upton has now six different times in her career gotten six assists. Six different times. She's tied her career high five times. Overall gotten six assists six times. I think she breaks it, gets at least seven and that will help the Bucks to victory over Cornell. I like that one. I'm going to go 40 or more points in the paint for ETSU versus Furman. Versus Furman. Yeah. So on men's basketball Which would be side. their second point, uh, most points in the paint, and it would be the most against the Division One team. So I'm going 40 or more points in the paint versus Furman. 40-plus points paint. Okay. That would really help ETSU in getting that victory at Furman. I thought, by the way, that if you got two of these three – Wofford, Furman, UNCG, that you're in great shape. You agree? Absolutely. So this would be the second, and then you're just playing with house money at that point going into UNCG. For me, for men's basketball, the Bucks won by combining for less than 100 points with their opponent against Wofford. This time I say they win by combining for more than 160, showing both ends of the spectrum, ability to win in a lot of different ways. The teams are combining for, coming into the game, 158.6 points. That's why I went as high as I did. So, like an 81 to 79, 160 or more. Let me just go ahead and throw that out there. 160 or more, in case it does happen to be like 8179 or something like that. I'd love a 9161. Well, that wouldn't work. 9171, just return the favor to Furman like uh, Furman did to the Bucks last year and blowing them out at that same arena, at the Timmons Arena. Let's flip the switch and completely turn the tables on them and get 160 or more combined the teams and men's basketball gets away. Southern Conference men's basketball Saturday. I'm going upset. Uh, VMI, who virtually beats nobody, is going to beat Samford. Mm, you just don't like Scott Padgett. Uh, no, I love Scotty. I want him to stay the head coach well, of Samford as, like as long <laughs> as possible. Let him be the head coach of the Samford Bulldogs. Uh, final one for me, the Vikings over the Saints. Got to do it. I have them in the Super Bowl. I have Vikings in New England in our predictions. And so it's a bit self-serving, obviously. Also, having come from Minnesota, being a Vikings fan, I am still bitter about Brett Favre throwing across his body in the Superdome like one decade ago and ruining the chance at going to a Super Bowl for Minnesota, which would be, I think, their first of my lifetime, my first of my lifetime and the first since the Fran Tarkenton days. So I'm still bitter about that. I'm hoping 
that someone's put a bug in the ear of every Viking that's on the team now about that as well. Because I think that's the last time that Minnesota played in New Orleans in the playoffs. It's indoors. That always helps an indoors team like the Vikings. They beat the Cowboys on the road earlier this year. Now the Cowboys, from what we understand, are going to fire Jason Garrett and didn't end up being a playoff team and actually didn't end up being even really that good this year. But it was a good road win on Sunday Night Football in front of a huge audience, both televised and in that stadium, in Jerry World. And also Dalvin Cook is coming back. And people that want to say, oh, the last couple weeks, the offenses look terrible while Cook hasn't played, and last week they didn't play anybody at all. They were playing basically all the backups. So I'm thinking that the ridiculous line that it, I think it was like 10 and a half that the Saints were favored by. It's an overreaction. It's down to like seven now. Everybody that is in the know seems to get those that are throwing the cheddar down on this big game seem to understand that the Vikings are being underrated going into the contest, and this will be a glorious win to watch at Wildwind Cafe. I'm throwing my own personal watch party. Who is I supposed to let go? Jim Harbaugh's khakis. What? And the other one? Touchdown Town. Yeah. So guess where I'm going? Upset. Titans. Oh, come on. <laughs> As Mike Gallagher You're such knows, a fraud. Mike Gallagher you knows. such a fraud. Taking the Titans. So you're not only I'm letting Tom buying go. So into, you me you're letting Tom go. God, so it's amazing you how you're taking it to heart already. I'm truly proud of you right now. This is the moment, while well, I'm also very mad because you like to cover your bases with your team that you love. <laughs> you got to go the other way so you can say, oh, see, I saw yeah. it coming, saw it coming. Yeah. And then if the, t- if yeah. the Patriots win, you can just be like, oh, yeah, that's my Patriots. Yeah, I love it. I've been on the board the whole time. So you love having, playing both sides of the coin. I don't, I don't, I don't know what again. you're talking about. You told, I'm doing what you told me to do, and uh, now you're mad at me. I don't understand this. How are life. you mad at me now? 2020 is the worst year to ever come across. Like, can, can I throw you a, a good sidebar, too? Uh, I don't even know if Josh I Josh Allen will outrush Deshaun <laughs> oh Watson. <laughs> hey, Josh Allen. Boom. The Bills, they've been an upstart the whole year. So you're <sighs> saying that the Bills are going to outlast the Patriots in the playoffs. Because if you have Josh Allen outrushing Deshaun Watson, you're probably having I mean, the it could be 27-26 in rushing yards. That doesn't necessarily mean they're winning the game. I'm not rating that one, no. 40-plus paint points for the Bucks against Furman, VMI over Sanford, men's basketball, and the Titans over New England. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Let him go, buddy. Let him go. That's what I don't you know told what me. to root for now. Like, I want to root against you and what you want, but I don't. My, my mind can't wrap itself around what you've just said. Oh. All right. More mind jamming of Mike Gallagher coming up on Monday. It's a Mind Jam Monday, if you will. We'll recap men's and women's basketball. Bull predictions, comments, everything else. Back in air. Sports Network 2020. See ya.